Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Hey everyone. This is a disclaimer for our Cool Hand Luke episode. We had a Zoom malfunction during our recording process, and as a result, our sound is very funky. Uh, We ask that you bear with us because a funky-sounding Paul Newman conversation is better than no Paul Newman conversation at all. So please enjoy Cool Hand Luke and mind the audio quality. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film Cool Hand Luke from 1967 with my very fun guest, Mitch Yapko. All right, we're recording. Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. So this week we watched Cool Hand Luke, which is a personal favorite of mine. I am a huge Paul Newman junkie. Like, this is my man. I love him so, so, so much. (laughs) So before we get into the plot summary, Mitch, like, what were your first thoughts of this film? Well, I have to actually respond to that. I guess you're such a big Paul Newman fan. This is the first time I've ever seen a Paul Newman movie. (gasps) Wait, like ever? I think like ever. I was oh like, God. I kept having to be like, focus on the movie, but have you ever seen him in another movie? And I don't think that I have. Well, because so, yeah, we had talked about you hadn't seen this movie and that's why we picked it. I didn't realize it was your first Newman. Yeah, this was a, this was a lot of firsts happening. And honestly, like, I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was absolutely great. I didn't know what to expect. So I've been actually watching a lot of classic movies this summer. And so... When I go into these movies, I try to uh, read as little as possible. I just want to go in cold. I like to just view the movie as a viewer and not apply, you know, any of the stuff that I know or learned. So watching it as a as a first time viewer, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought he was great. That's we can all talk we need about to hear yeah all on of this that. podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, have a great yeah, day. And that was it. Let's just <laughs> let's just talk about how great Paul Newman is. Um, So yeah, this film, we'll do a quick plot summary. Cool Hand Luke, 1967. We're in the South. Chain gangs are still a thing. Men that go to prison have to work alongside the road in like really rough, hard labor all day long. Luke is picked up. Lucas Jackson is his full name. Mm -hmm. He is picked up by police because he's like defacing uh, parking meters while he's drunk. He's decapitating Cutting the heads them. off of him, yes. Cutting the heads off of them. Nice. And he is arrested for that. And for two years for that offense, he is sent to this prison um, where he basically goes through hell. But he's also, he refuses to change who he is to fit into this system. So he's this kind of like independent, uh, thinks for himself kind of guy. And he won't conform. Everyone wants him to conform and he won't do it. And then eventually that ultimately, spoiler alert, kills him. I feel like, you know, sort of 60 years later, the the spoiler alert, or 50 years later, the spoiler alert thing is sort of out the window. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I think it's really interesting because this movie was actually based on someone's real experience in prison. One of the guys that wrote this. Yeah, the guy wrote the book. Um, His name Mm -hmm. is Don Pierce. He wrote the book. Mm -hmm. And he actually didn't like Paul Newman or his portrayal. Um, But he survived to, like, tell this tale. So it's clearly fiction. Like, there was no guy that was greater than the system necessarily. It's kind of this fantasy of, like, how, how it would feel to buck the system. But yeah, I think that's really interesting that he just doesn't like this portrayal of it. And I'm like, do you not have eyes and ears? It's perfect. Although okay. we never actually see him die. This is true. So like the, the chain gang says that he died, right? They, they're telling these like these, you know, hero stories about him, but we never see him die. This is true. We get the idea of we know they're going to purposely like kill him because they're taking him to a hospital that's an hour away. So we know that the bullet wound will likely have killed him and he's got that smile on his face. They want us to think he's died. But you're right. I've never considered it this way that there could be like a cool hand Luke too. The sequel might be The Rock. Whoa. Mind blown? Oh man, mind blown. Sean Connery as cool hand Luke. I was getting Escape from Alcatraz vibes though. I said that weird. Escape from Alcatraz. I was getting vibes from that from this too respect respect. it's interesting to me because this movie so it's clear like the messages hit home it's like okay let me break this down so it's like man versus machine is what i wrote because every time they pit people against each other it's like the chain gang and one side and like the man and machines and cars and they use that fan like it's 
separating man versus machine, but when they say machine, they really mean like the system. Right, the, the cane versus the shotgun, yeah. like whatever that yeah. is. So it's like the, those images come up a lot and it's all about like, everyone wants you to conform, but how do you keep your individuality? That's like, right. Luke. the film starts literally, I hadn't noticed this. So I watched this movie a lot when I was a teenager. Um, I was super into it and I didn't get any of these things. They went right over my head because when you're a teenager, you're just, you're watching movies for fun. You're not really thinking about necessarily the bigger symbols, but mm -hmm. this movie literally starts with the words violation flashing across a parking meter mm -hmm. and like, it's the machine. He's violating the machine and this is how the machine is going to deal with him. And I went, mm -hmm. whoa. That's pretty trippy. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I mean, you know, it, it to me was sort of like a Fahrenheit 451, like red flash of like things are about to go down anyway. I like that so too. even though, you know, we don't know what's going to happen to him, you know, he just seems like a random dude. I honestly, like I said, I had no idea what this movie was about. I didn't know he was going to spend the movie in jail or you know, on a chain gang. So it was literally like, you know, okay, he's, he's doing this thing and he's, you know, fighting the system and he doesn't care about anything. But where is it going? But something is, something's going to happen and something's going to be bad. What I was thinking about a lot yesterday watching it was I was like, to me, this is a better version of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'm not a big One Flew Over the Cuckoo's mm -hmm. Nest fan. I don't care for it. It's not my cup of tea. It's not my thing. I feel like <laughs> this movie gets that point across better than that movie does. And it's so funny you say that because I was thinking the exact same thing when, when he finally broke in yeah. quotes, you know, uh, when he finally is like, you know, don't hit me anymore, you know, that moment, that was such like the, the ratchet has gotten to me moment, but Cuckoo's Nest, he's done. He's actually done. Yeah. But this one, he's just sort of playing the system until he can figure out his next move. Cause like he says, he doesn't plan anything. He's yeah. just sort of going moment to moment. So yeah, when, that. I don't even think that was him like faking it. Like he says, you can't fake that kind of thing. I think he really was broken. They really did get to him but he was able to kind of still put himself back together in a way when it was all mm. done. Like he yeah. still couldn't resist when there was a way for him to kind of break free. He couldn't resist taking it. So even though they technically did break him in that moment. Also a side note, I was so disappointed in all the prison people for letting him down because I felt like yeah. they had formed this beautiful community. And this is, this movie is totally like showing inhumane actions by people in power right mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. like you're allowed to be inhumane if it's part of your job they talk about luke being a war hero and he said i killed people you know but i'm here for like defaced public property and that's what i'm being punished for mm -hmm. um these men when they put him in that box <laughs> mm -hmm. uh literally i love that they like put him in a box like how more meta can you get mm, right. uh, he says to that man um just because you're doing your job that doesn't make it right so we have this whole theme of like inhumane treatment, certain kinds of treatment being okay for certain kinds of people. And yeah, that really struck me this time. I forget where I was going with that. There was like a thread I was going to follow through, but I don't remember what it was. Well, and all the guys you said, like, let, let him down when he comes back in. They let him down, right? So they form this community, they build each other up. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, when he actually needs them, they're kind of like, oh, you're not who we thought you were. So uh, we don't support you anymore. I'm like, guys. Yeah, and I hear that. But at the same time, like, from their perspective, I feel like he's, he's their ideal, right? Like, they've built him up to be this hero, and they are, he is their hope, right? Yeah. He's, he's their sort of shining beacon in the darkness of this hell. And when he finally, you know, breaks and he gives up and he lets the machine win, I feel like that's like wind out of their sails. You have let us down. Our hope is gone. You were our hope, and now it's gone. Okay, like, I, uh, if you view it that way, it's slightly better because it felt so cruel to me in the moment of like, he did all no, these things, yeah. you know, to help you guys along and you can't be there for him when he's clearly been like really, really beaten. You can't literally lift him up. Literally, he reaches out to, for them to help him up and he's like, no, nobody. And it's like, that was such, a, such an intense moment because you're like, these are all your friends. These are all people that have looked up to you. But it's so interesting because so much hinges on Luke, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when he comes in, it's sort of this, like, it is a prison state. It's very cut and dry. It's very black and white. This bully runs the, the inmates. And he comes in and he softens them up and he gets them all to like him. You know, he, he wins their trust. And then, like, the entire dynamic of the entire system changes just yeah. because of him. And so I think everybody's emotional journey and emotional arc is directly hinged on Luke's ups and downs. So yeah. like, 
when when Luke is gone, the chain gang is back to nothing. There's no hope. There's no there's no joy. There's no there's nothing for them. But when he's there, there's something different. It's so interesting that you use that word nothing because that was his whole thing. I've got a handful of nothing. I love cool that. hand. That's cool, his cool hand, hand of nothing. A handful of nothing. So that's yeah. so interesting that you use that word. Whoa. I obviously meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's what's so interesting too is he does make it a better place. He makes things more interesting and more fun. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't just bring the prisoners together. He brings everyone together. Like when they're yeah. taking bets on when he eats those 50 eggs. Oh my God. Everyone's involved. Yeah, the they guards. Got, yeah, the guards, everybody. Mm-hmm. And even when they're paving the road, when they work together and make it a game to kind of like do the tar on the road, I still don't understand what they were doing. Dirting the tar? Like what is <laughs> that i don't yeah i I was like i have to look that up later because that's science yeah that's clearly science um (laughs) so when they were doing that and they actually get free time because they do it so quickly and he turns it into a game like everyone should be happy there they're not i mean you see the man with no eyes the reflection off of him like clearly that's when things start to that was also a weird shot too because they're pushing into this the, the guy with the with no eyes and then there's sort of like this weird like pushing into the guy behind him I don't know. It was just like an odd technical thing that they were doing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, does he matter more in this moment? What's happening? I don't know. Anyway. I um, did think it was really interesting this time around. I noticed, I had never noticed this before. But again, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I went from watching this movie like so many times to not seeing it in like a decade because you're like, I know it. I've seen it. I'm good. So that was super interesting to watch it like as a real adult. But what I noticed this time around was the man with no eyes. His name is Godfrey. God. Like the man with no eyes, they named him, whatever. So I went, whoa. Mm. I also noticed this time that when they showed the director's name, like in the opening credits, they pan into the man with no eyes glasses. And I was like, okay, director, we get it. We see your cool tricks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was so funny. It was so obvious. Like, and they did that a few times with those, you know, hyper push-ins, like Dean Stanton's mouth when he's singing, you know, the fan, like, somehow these are all like theoretically really important moments but like it starts off with the close-up of the the head of the um parking meter falling on the ground a close-up of that and that was like the violation hitting the ground right and like that's what really kicks everything off and we pan up so like there's all of these what i assume are really important you know hyper close-ups of things just to sort of hit us over the head but it's interesting you're bringing up this whole god thing um and, and the egg thing so I don't know, I assume you've noticed this, and if you haven't, then great conversation, but when he's done eating the eggs, everyone walks away, and he's laying there with his white loincloth. Uh, <laughs> Jesus arms. Jesus arms, Jesus feet. Like, feet crossed over on a bed of wood. Yep. And then, like, the next scene, like, you know, he's talking to God in the rain. That's the yes. very next scene. And then the scene after that, his mother dies, and he starts singing about Jesus and Mary. Then the scene right after that, he's in the box for what, two days, right? Like, or something like that. And then he's like reborn. Like he comes back out a new, whatever it is. It was just like, there's so many Jesus references to him in this. Which is hilarious because we're both Jewish. So we totally don't get these all the way. Like we could see them and be like, (laughs) okay, I know you're making a Jesus reference, but I don't 100% understand it. Like I very much could see all of this religious imagery, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if at the end of the film, we're supposed to go along with like, is this like, does God exist? Like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to get out of the end. I did read something where it was like, Cool Hand Luke, the number 37, um, that mm-hmm. was his number. And I guess like yeah. if you go to Luke 37, it says a quote about like nothing is impossible. And huh. the thing that I don't, again, I'm Jewish. I don't know this <laughs> shit. I don't know if it's true. Please like Same forgive me yeah. if I'm wrong. But I thought that was fascinating because he always responds to impossible. Everyone says to him like, that's impossible. Even at the egg scene when he's Jesus laying there and everyone abandons him. You can hear someone going, no man can eat 50 eggs. That's impossible. And he smiles. So yeah. it seems to me he always has that Luke smile that they talk about every time someone says he can't. Any time someone says that's impossible, that's when the Luke smile appears. He's consistently doing things for everybody else. He's constantly turning the other cheek, you know, I mean, but then he's also like, you know, pushing forward. But he's always, sure, hit me again. Like the, you know, the boxing match that ingratiates him to everybody. Hit me again. I'll, You're I'll going to have up. to kill me is what he said. Yeah. You're going to have to kill me. Yeah. But God let him live in that moment. God did let him live in that moment. Yeah. I am really curious now, though. I maybe, 
I do want to know if this was supposed to be like a hopeful or hopeless movie, like in regards to God and mm -hmm. in regards to what that means. Because I do right. feel like it's hopeful in general because Luke, quote unquote, dies with a smile if he does not become the rock, ultimately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They could never beat him. But um, he's still like, I mean, look, the penultimate scene or whatever is him in church once more asking God for a sign, you know, how to do this, what to do next. Uh, and God's answer is shooting Luke in the neck. Yeah. So, was it the neck? I couldn't quite tell. It, it was like it was, it was like shoulder area that like might have been an artery, unclear where the bullet actually hit, but fatal, you yeah. know. And I love that drag line is the one that shows up. It's so interesting to me because he is support, but he's also like literally his name. I had never thought about this before because you know when you're young and you watch a movie and you're like that's the person's name I'm not gonna think too hard about this mm -hmm. um, I literally looked up what the word dragline meant and I want to read it to you because it definitely solidified what I had already been thinking and that makes me feel good about myself um, so the definition of dragline is so it's a line in used in or for dragging so you know dragging something along not a misnomer yep an excavating machine in which the bucket is attached by cables and operates by being drawn toward the machine so it's like, no matter what he does, my whole idea of like the man versus machine thing, a drag line can't help but be drawn toward the machine. Like he's always going to conform. He's always going to fit into the system and he's going to try to pull things like Luke into the system with him. And I went, whoa, was that intentional, you know? Totally. Well, and it's funny because also you could say, you know, Luke was captured because of drag line, right? Yes. Like drag line got caught first. And so obviously, you know, he was nearby. You could also call Luke the machine, right? Like I feel like dragline sort of is, is going where the where the power is, right? Where the machine power is, if you want to say that. And like Luke is sort of this shining light for a moment, but you know he gets scared. He so is Luke Judas? Is he the one that betrays? Oh, I don't think Luke? he is because I, I think there's two things. It's like Luke and the spirit of everything Luke represents, and then the opposite of that, which like is the system slash the machine, the man, the you must mm. fit into this box both literally and figuratively. So there's that, and I feel like Dragline can't help but always want to go to the system which is safe. He will never be free of it because he can't survive yeah, outside of it. Two more years left. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's just, it's, it's so interesting because a character like that could be viewed as someone that is in it for his own, you know, in it for himself. Yeah. To survive, whatever that means. Yeah. Well, it's funny how quickly he, I felt like it was almost immediately that he had sold Luke out. You know that he gets caught. You know that he blabs. You know that he immediately, like, says where Luke is. He's lying out of his ass when he's like, they're not going to hurt you. It's safe. And I'm like, oh, God. And yet he's not a total bad guy. He has this genuine care for Luke. Luke is his yeah, baby. I don't think he's lying. I don't think yeah. he's lying when he comes in. I think he's, like, he's just so naive. Like you just said, he's, he's a baby. I think he is just, like, you know, he's, like, baby Huey. And, like, He's ruling the roost until Luke gets there. You know, he's like holding Luke's place. And then it's like, okay, now there's an alpha. There's a real alpha. And so he's sort of following, he's telling the line of what's safe. Well, I felt like he only knows how to be the alpha when it's about like the patriarchy alpha, like violence. I only know how to be the alpha when yes. I can control with my body, when I can control with my words, like in a mean spirited way. So when someone else comes in and shows him a different way of how to be a leader, how to bring people together, I think mm -hmm. that's fascinating. He acknowledges he clearly does not have the brains. I feel no. like Dragline can't exist out of prison. He's like one of those people that doesn't know what to do when he's out in the real world, but in prison yeah. he understands the rules and how to fit himself in there. So yeah, everyone it's tells so him what to do yeah. and what, where to be and, and how to be. And, yeah. you know, just his physicality alone just tells him how to be. It's like, uh, I forget the old man's name from uh, Shawshank. Yeah, I was thinking of that too. How he, it yeah. was like the guy that can't exist in the outside world. He has to come back to prison. Yeah. Yes. It's also interesting that in order to make us, the audience, like really care and follow these prisoners, they couldn't tell us really what they had done. So we right. know Luke defaces the parking meters. We know that one guy resisted arrest. We know mm -hmm. the cushy like job guy that committed manslaughter. We don't hear about any like really awful violent crimes. And it's yeah. because they need us to be on the side of the prisoners. And I thought that was really interesting and fascinating. Cause yeah, it's like, what if we did find out Dragline probably did something really, maybe he didn't do something really terrible. They actually alluded to him to not having done anything that terrible. But in my head, I was like, he probably like raped a girl or did something oh, like that. In my head, that it was, was like a bar, a bar fight. You know, oh, like, that's way better. Like, <laughs> but you know, go your yeah. direction. 
But because yeah. the way he was looking at Lucille and talking about her. Also, she's not credited yeah. as Lucille. She's credited as the woman. And I'm like, that's some bullshit right there. But whatever. But um, she wasn't really Lucille. That was her made up name. True. But I, it's just no, the but I, woman. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, she the really is woman. the only woman in the movie. Besides Luke's mom. mom. Yeah, yeah. Who is cool as fuck. Cool hand mom. Cool hand. She's cool hand mom. Yeah. I love it. He says like goodbye to her and she's like right back at you kid or whatever she says. Yeah. Like, and for a minute I was like, is this your stepmom? Because you keep calling her Arletta. And then I was like, no, I think it's your mom. But then you, is that your brother that's like 25, 30 years younger than you? Yeah. What's going on? And then there's a man with him that they don't even explain who that is. They, they're um, attending the, the mom. Sure. Cool. Okay. Did you know that Betty Davis, um, she was supposed to play that part or something like that? I don't know if she was being considered in casting or if she was supposed to play it, but Betty Davis was like the idea for that role. And I think that's fascinating. That would have been different. Yeah. I feel I like feel it was like the... Joe Van Fleet that played her. She was so great. Yeah. yeah, she was wonderful. That's one thing that I loved about everybody in this was the natural state of everybody. Nothing felt like it was forced. Everyone felt real. You yes. know, and that was part of the thing that was exciting to me just about seeing a Paul Newman movie for the first time was like, just to see him in his in this natural state, like he never tries too hard. Like it always just feels like whatever he's saying is natural and real. And yeah. it, it, it's what a real person would say, you know? Yes. Okay, so then let's just dive right into Paul Newman. Uh -oh. I also do want to let you know that what I love about this, I do feel like what you're saying is true, how everything is so simple. And I do want to acknowledge something else I noticed this time. I noticed this time that all the people that are free have green on them. And so mm. and even on the mother's like deathbed or whatever that was, there was a green awning over the top of it. And we see her through the green awning. When Luke mm -hmm. comes in at first, he's wearing a green shirt. All of the vans and the trucks are there all green. There's green grass on the other side of the fence. So I found that fascinating this time because I had never noticed it before. The symbolism of green versus what they have inside, oh. which is like that blue and the blue slate and, and white. brown. Yeah. 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 It's very so anyway, dull colors. I noticed that, but I was like, I got to tell you, because that's yeah. cool. But also, let's just dive into Paul Newman and why he's such a wonder of a human. <laughs> this is why I love Paul Newman so much. I love him because he is not just a good actor, but a good human. So I think one thing that's cool about classics is you can look back retrospectively. So mm -hmm. like one of the reasons I love him is because he's such a cool person. Um, mm -hmm. But he also is stage-based, so I think that's what makes him a great actor on screen and in films like this. Mm -hmm. um, he got his career going in theater on Broadway. His big break ended up being Picnic. Do you, you know the William Inge play? It's mm -mm. Ing or Inge? I never had to say it. It's, it's a famous play from the 50s about like a drifter that comes to town and he falls in love with the pretty girl. And Paul Newman played the guy that, like the straight-laced guy who she was supposed to marry. And that was like his big break on Broadway. And that's also where he met his wife, Joanne Woodward. She was understudying for the, the pretty girl part. Wow. He was married at the time. Nothing came of it. I don't think there was an affair or anything. But that's how they met. And then they ended up doing a film together in 1958 called The Long Hot Summer. And that was it. He was like, I need to get a divorce for my wife. I need to marry this woman. And they remained married until he died in 2008. They are this beautiful love story. They did, I think, like 11 films together. Oh, wow. They loved each other. They loved working together. They were really good people. They, um, he started this charity, Newman's Own, you know, the salad dressing and the, yeah. all of the proceeds go to charity. He started a special camp for kids who like were differently abled or who are terminally uh -huh. ill. They can go to this camp and have like a beautiful time. He was just, he's just the greatest in so many ways. Wow. He's not your typical like playboy gross leading man. He's like he's a, a good, good egg who respected yeah. the hell out of his wife. They ask him about his fidelity and he's just like, well, why would I want hamburger when I can have steak at home? And I'm like, yeah. He's a pretty classy guy. He's a pretty classy guy. And he, he was in all these great movies and he does a great job and he is yeah. very natural. He's yes. not necessarily like a chameleon. Like he's not like a Meryl Streep where he becomes all these different people, but he's very right. real in what he does. Which is part of the allure, right? I mean, there's, you know, typecasting is still casting and you cast somebody because you love what they do. And yeah, there are actors like him and you bring somebody in because you know that they can bring truth and reality to a role and bring a realism to that role that you know people will connect with. He sort like of played every man. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Exactly. Exactly. He plays any role, whether it's you know, a lawyer or the Hulk, like you believe what he's doing because he yeah. believes it, but he's like, 
he's relatable. Yes. Uh, and even though Paul Newman, you know, is a very handsome man, he still, you know, portrays this ideal of an everyman. He's handsome, but he like really has chops. So it's yes. not just about looks for him. There's something much deeper than that. I also learned some fun facts about this film that I didn't know before. Ooh. So I didn't know he had to learn to play the banjo for the film. And they kept trying to shoot that scene where he's grieving his mom and he's singing the plastic, was it called Plastic Jesus? That song? Something the dashboard, like that, yeah. Jesus, Mary. Yeah. I don't know. Again, we're Jewish. But it was, that was the Jesus and Mary song that I was the talking The Jesus about. and Mary yeah. song. So they kept trying to shoot that scene and he like couldn't do it because his banjo skills were not there. He so badly wanted to play the banjo himself. So finally on the last day of shooting, he got it. That was like the big moment. He did it and he wanted to do another take. He didn't feel like he got it. And the director was like, no, there's no way. You're doing a better take. Like, that's it. So that was done on the last day of shooting. And the man you had referenced earlier, his Harry Dean Stanton, is that his name? Yeah, or in the credits, just Dean Stanton. Dean Stanton. He taught him to play banjo. That was the guy that taught him on what? set. And so you clearly know who that person is. For me, I was like, you look familiar. And then I realized it was because he was in Pretty in Pink. He was the dad of Pretty in Pink. And that's oh why God. I was like, duh, that's why I know you. I wonder if this was his first role because his screen name is Harry Dean Stanton. But in the credits, he's just credited as Dean Stanton. Dean Stanton. I mean, Dennis Hopper plays a role with no lines. That's not so. true. He plays Babaluga and he sings. <laughs> <laughs> Because I wrote that down. I was like, why are they calling him that? And then they're in the shower and they're all really tight together. He's yes. singing and they're like, shut up, Babaluga. And I was like, Dennis Hopper. All right. He has one yeah. series of lines. Yes. But no, that's crazy. But yeah, it's yeah. awesome that to, to, to learn that also. Like, that's crazy. The Dennis Hopper thing was cool, though. Because yeah, now I'm older. I have perspective. And I go, oh, my God, I know you, Dennis Hopper. Look at you oh. just sitting there. Yeah, kind of being a goober. It's just kind like, what are, what are you doing? And then it's like, he goes on to obviously do amazing things. Yeah, and Harry Dean Stanton is never young. Like, things like that. It's really interesting, like, like to see these actors, you know, 40, 50 years ago and to be like, well, you look the same, pretty much. I think it's also interesting. This was this director's first film ever. He had pretty much only done TV stuff. He made TV films, but this was his first, like, really big thing. And I think, how oh, wow. fantastic is that? This film is so epic to have this mm -hmm. be your first big film that you ever make. And he never really did too much after this. Stuart Rosenberg directed this. Um, and he did two other Paul Newman films after this, one called WUSA and one called The Drowning Pool. Neither was like a huge hit, but they clearly worked well together. Um, mm -hmm. And then he did Brubaker, which is a Robert Redford movie. And Paul Newman and Robert Redford are like best buds. So yeah. clearly Paul Newman was like passing this guy's card around, but he never did much after this. This was well, his biggest. And what's interesting when you say like biggest and this is this epic movie, like if you think about it, there's really only like three locations, True. right? Like there's a street where he's chopping up, uh, you know. Uh, parking meters? Yep, yep, parking yep. meters. It's there's, hard. <laughs> words are hard. Um, but yeah, parking meter street. And then it was, you know, the, uh, the prison, which was just like a series of three or four little shack buildings. And then it was like two or three roads. The movie was a very, it was very simple, but it, it felt epic. And I think that's what's so interesting about it is it felt bigger than it was. You well, know? it's shot epically too the way they use elements and the sky and I don't exactly know what it's called but the way they made the colors look it was almost like I once heard Norman Jewison put pantyhose over the front of his camera in Fiddler on the Roof and to me that's what this kind of looked like they that's actually a, that's a norm like that that is a, an industry norm when you want to give the film a certain look like pantyhose like and there's yeah. a certain kind of like French pantyhose in particular that is like you know the sort of coveted pantyhose and it's very rare nowadays but yes it's so funny yeah, I talked I about that on this podcast and I talked about it like it was something so special that Norman Jewison had done. And now to hear like, nah, it's trade practice. <laughs> but, but he might be one of the first ones to do it. Like, I don't know when it started, you know, true, we can call him true. the pioneer. So yeah, because it looked gorgeous. Like it was gorgeously shot, very simple, but mm -hmm. like really effective use of the landscape. That's how I would yeah. describe it. Absolutely. And a lot of like upward looking shots, which I was like, God again? I don't know. Right. There was so much hope, but then everything also felt so contained in a lot of ways. So it really was this physical and emotional prison that they were sort of setting up. But at the same time, they keep giving you these little, you know, nuggets of like, of the outside world that exists, but we never see any of it, you know? It's very episodic too. Now that mm. I'm like talking about this, 
I get that he was a TV guy before. I know like he didn't write the script, but it does feel very episodic to me. It's like, okay, so the first thing that happens is, you know, you go to prison. These are the rules of prison. Second thing that happens like, oh, here's the hot woman scene. And then it's the scene about like, there's the fight. And then there's the eggs. It's like very just like these little episodes that build yeah. and build. and build. It's not so much like a, we're building towards this great right. climax plot wise. It did feel very episodic to me. Yeah, like if they had thrown commercials in there, I wouldn't have been surprised. Like, now that we're saying this, I think I did watch this a lot with commercials. I feel like it was on AMC <laughs> a lot. So that's, it probably works great. Yeah, so, seriously. It was, it was so many little snippets of story. It was day in the life tied together, right? Yeah. It was like, here we are on this day and he's getting to know everybody. Here we are on this day and he's, everybody loves him. Here we are on this day and he's in the box. It's just like this sort of series of normal days strung together, but like we don't know how much time has passed. We don't know yeah. how long he's in prison. We don't know yeah. any of that stuff. They did make it sound like towards the end that he was almost done with his term. I know that's the wrong word. Sentence. He was almost done with his sentence. Right. Um, well, before which all was this two happened. years. Yeah. Right. So, so but that was two you're... years if, if he didn't try to run away and he tried to run away, he came back. So how much yeah. longer was the sentence? We don't know. They never said that. Well, and definitely let's talk about the impetus for him running away, which was like, his mother has died. His mother is clearly deeply important to him. Mm -hmm. Oh God. And when he couldn't like hug his mother, he like looks at the guard and says something and the guard says no. And he can't ever like touch his mother or hug his mother goodbye. He wants to go around the truck just to hug her. Yeah. Yeah. That moment when he was playing the, the banjo and he was, he started to cry, like this guy's got chops and I'm fully invested. That was the moment that I was emotionally invested in the movie. You were invested before then, though, right? <laughs> I was invest. I was invested in the movie, and I was enjoying it. But emotionally, like that was when it was. Yeah. All right, like this is real. This yeah. this feels real now, and I'm yeah. I'm in it with him. You know. Yeah, because he's very good at being like a little bit silly too. That's what I love about him. So we talked about his the way his range works, which again isn't like a Meryl Streep range of I'm going to become this other person who's totally different from me. But mm-hmm. he does have a wide variety of characters he plays like he will play a businessman a cowboy a prisoner cool hand luke um so he has like this vast thing but he also does comedies and dramas and mm-hmm. he does have a certain like he's able to have this like silliness to him that we see a little bit of in this like when they're doing the eggs and he's got his banjo and he's making this silly little face at people that cracks mm-hmm. me up inside he like has this range to do these things but then he has the range to break your heart as well because yeah. you see his heart breaking yeah. But yeah, so the, the bigger impetus of like, yeah, him completely going against the system and like refusing to follow along anymore is his mother has just died. And instead of letting him go out on the road, they trap him in that box. And like the inhumaneness and the cruelty of that just makes him go, I don't want to say crazy, but it makes him unable to continue in this way. He cannot like be inauthentic for five minutes. <laughs> he can't, he has no chill. Even though he's cool and Luke, he has no mm-hmm. chill and mm-hmm. he must escape immediately. And the two escapes in one day really get me. Because I'm like, dude, stop. Right. Please, you're making it worse. Just stop. Yeah. I can't. Right. Well, it's like, but it's their fault, right? Like, they right. created that situation. Like, yeah. they said, Captain was like, you know, when, when someone's mother dies, they get rabbit feet, right? Something yeah. like that. Where it's the rabbit like, blood. Rabbit blood, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And so they put him in the box. And I feel like if they hadn't put him in the box, like, he would have had his people around him. He would have eased through it. But... Putting him in the box, that was the call to action for him. That was, this is it. This is not right. I can't be here. Like, I I could have just, like, been chill about it. I could have gotten through these two years. Not anymore. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that was really one of his first breaking point. Like, I know that he broke later, but, like, this was a different kind of break for him. Yeah. But this was a break of a call to action. The other one was a break of, like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, And when they do break him, because... I would have been broken long before that as a human. Like I would have been, <laughs> that's why it hurt me so much when he goes back in and they don't care for him. Cause I'm like, none of you could have withstood that. What they were doing to him was torture. Oh, and that's another thing I want to talk about. So what I noticed is like, we're with white men here. This is how white men are treated. I can only like imagine how horrible it must've been for chain gangs in the South for people of color. Cause even yeah. that one guard, um, the guard that locks Luke up, the one where Luke is like, you know, just cause it's your job doesn't mean it's right. Later on when they're back on the road, that guy yeah. is basically like, I've never killed a white man. And like, so you've yes. killed people who weren't white, like, right. and you're cool with this. He's yeah. never killed a white person. No, I remember I wanted to call that out too. It was crazy. I mean, there was, you know, apart from those two little boys, like there yeah. was nobody of color in this whole movie. Yeah. 
you know? Well, and at least they played the people of color as like good, kind people. They weren't like any part of the system that was negative. They were the reason right. he could escape. I loved the little boys laughing in the window. Like at least we have those moments. Not that it's like great for people of color representation at all in this film. I guess I was surprised because I didn't think that segregation was something that happened like that where they would segregate a, a white chain gang. So that was surprising to me too. But, you know, I assume that like you're saying that they were treated better than a chain gang of color would have been treated. Which is just like uh, disturbing on so many levels. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the only family of color that we see is just, you know, a normal family. Like they have a farm, they have what looks right. like a gas station. Like they, they're just living their lives. That know? little boy that gets in the axe. Deal. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So cute. He drags it over. Yeah. <laughs> he can't even lift it up. Of course, like the stupid white policemen wouldn't even think to question. To them, I'm sure they're so racist that they don't even think to question these people. Yeah. Um, oh, when they God. could have given them information. We don't see that. We don't know it. But that's, you know, what I'm thinking. But uh, yeah. the part with the dogs and the dog sneezing. Sneezing. Yeah. Little boys laughing. That's. Oh my that God. Lovely. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. funny. Although I was a little concerned. That dead dog looked really real. And I was like, please tell me they didn't kill a dog. It did. I was like trying to like watch its stomach, you know, or trying to see if it was breathing. And I was like, maybe they just gave it like some tranquilizers for the moment. But it was, that was a full on real dog, like yeah. not moving. Uh-oh. I hope it was the tranquilizer thing. I hope they I, did It was not Paul Newman. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was fine. True. He's, you're right. He's super awesome activist man. He's not going to let anything bad happen to that dog. Also that the white man's reaction to the dog, like the white guard's reaction to the dog and how Mm -hmm. he cares more about that dog than anyone else, like any of the people. That's Mm -hmm. like what a lot of like the criticism that a lot of like white supremacists get of like, you didn't care that these black people are being killed by cops, but you care that like a dog is harmed or kicked. Like, right. Was that, a, was that a guard, though, or was that one of the prisoners? I, that's what I was that confused was gu- about. That was, was the guard. He was one of the guards that, like, was the dog tender. The right? guy that opened the trunk? Because he yeah. was wearing blue, I thought. <gasps> Maybe I'm just so wrong about this. I swear he was wearing blue, which was confusing to me, because they were, and then I'm like, all right, these are, like, you know, the prisoners that are just, like, in good with the guards, basically. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm totally wrong. I have always thought, have always, meaning like the time I've been paying attention to this, uh, <laughs> that, he, that he was one of the guards, but maybe you're totally right. Maybe he's a prisoner who's in good, he's one of like the, I can't, like the Jews that had to help the Nazis. I know that's I don't want to bring thinking. that in there. No, that's where I was, I was going like, to. Oh, I didn't want to say going. it. No, no, but you did. But, you but did. I did. So He's um, like a prefect in Harry Potter. Working. There you go. He's a snitch. He's a snitch. He's a snitch. But that was an interesting thing also. Just there were a bunch of prisoners that were, I think, in that position and that was a little bit confusing, but like also, you know, just part of survival. Also, I can't help but like oh, I sound like Carrie Bradshaw now. I couldn't help but wonder how (laughs) you watch these things and you're like, This behavior is not okay. It's not humane. No people should be treated this way, even if they've done terrible things. And I think what I've never really understood is why the U.S. is constantly like, we can't handle prison reform. Because I feel like what prison should end up being is a way of like, there should be a lot of therapy in prison. There should be a lot of ways to make people like better when they come out. Better like in their hearts and their minds, wanting to come out and be like actively helping society. I think that's what prison should be more of. Um, And not so much like hardcore, brutal torture punishment. Right, and a system that enables if we're just talking about this system in particular, like you walk in with your predispositions and, and you are who you are in this prison system and you're just biding your time until you're done. So if you've got violent tendencies, whatever it is, like there was no system in place to help any of these people get through this and, and figure out what they were going to do afterwards. And that was part of why, you know, Dragline was completely helpless. Like he, in the excitement of the moment, followed Luke out of prison to escape. But then it's the second that Luke was like, all right, I'm going out on my own. Dragline's like, um, I have no idea what to do with myself. Yeah. Like even the, the moment before he's like, we're going to go to my house and I'm going to get you a meal. and I'm going to get you some girls. And the second that he's like going to be alone, he's like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like you could see it in his eyes. You're right. Yeah. There was like that moment panic. of panic. So just knowing that, like, and knowing that all these guys in, in the system in this movie were in the same boat, it was they're going in for a crime and they're coming out the same people. Yeah. Uh, but and, and like and thinking so, about what could be, like what could be yeah. happening in there to make people better when they come out. Yeah. I don't know how to say better because I don't think any, like, uh, to make people like more able and capable to handle themselves and the world. Empowering them. Empowering. 
Yeah. Not that like, yes, you've done something wrong. You should go to prison. But a lot of people that were in there weren't in there for terrible things. Like I think if you take the heads off parking meters, two years of like ridiculous hard labor is not the way to handle that. Right. It's like it's like being in prison for two years because you had a joint on you. Yep. I mean, that in itself was an interesting thing to see that, you know, such simple crimes were rewarded with such, you know, hefty things. But also, you know, everyone at that point in time is trying to get free labor and, you know, have these things happen for their states or their cities or their yeah. counties uh, to save the money. And that was one of the things they So it's to like, to, I hate to use the word slave labor because it's like, obviously, like African-American people, that was like slavery, right? But like mm -hmm. the idea of, yeah, not consensual work. Like, yeah, they don't have ways of paying for these things. So they need slave labor. So they force prisoners to do it. Mm -hmm. And the incentive to get more prisoners is higher. Just like what's going on now where they want people in prisons because they're making profits off of prison. So there's like a funnel to get especially like people of color, people with low income into prisons mm -hmm. and having that affect the rest of their lives. <laughs> like yeah yeah it's on your it's on your record forever no matter what you do no matter how you come out also it was interesting like did they actually ever say where they were so i don't think that they did i looked it up and it was supposed to be florida they filmed it in stockton california but the setting was supposed to be florida but like florida like by georgia okay you know okay. and then um paul newman's character he studied a west virginian accent so that was supposed to be a west virginian accent i don't know what a west virginian sounds like so i don't know unclear to put it under the lens of, of you know the locale and the time would have given me more you know preconceived notions about what to expect but sort of the the nebulous idea that i don't know where it is it feels like somewhere in the south but i can't fully say for sure was just another interesting aspect to the movie for me the other things that made it feel like the south too were just like there were certain accents that were had by certain so, people the mm -hmm. weather and then the religious music throughout the yeah. guy playing the guitar, playing the religious hymns, or I don't, again, I don't know. <laughs> Everything was, was a Jesus song. Everything was. Yeah. yeah. So, really was. yeah, that all kind of tied it in as like, we are the general South right now. Like, right. not specific. This that's... one little pocket of the South somewhere. Yeah. Also, I love the line. There are so many great lines in this, but the, what we have here is a failure to communicate. Oh my God. Classic. Iconic. And I was like, oh my God, this, this is where it's from. And they say it twice, which is what I love. I love when Paul Newman throws it back in his face. And that's love. what gets him shot. Yeah, I know, but it's not even him who shoots him. It's the, it's, it's Eyeless, Godfrey, the whatever. The man with no eyes. Yeah, the captain doesn't do anything, right? Like it's this other guy that just takes personal offense to this. It's so crazy. Also that guy doesn't ever speak. No, Does not it? once. No. no, he doesn't. Oh my God, him losing his glasses at the end. We never see yeah. his full face, but he mm -hmm. like freaks out and, you know, tries to hide his face and, and mm -hmm. scoots away. And then his glasses get crushed. And I was like, thanks for leaving us with like some semblance of hope. Right, like his glasses are crushed. So does that mean that he's going to become a better man? I'm like, is the system over now? <laughs> right. Did we win? Did we win? Yeah. And then it's like Kumbaya Circle telling old stories of Cool Hand Luke on the next shot. Right. That was the next shot. It was, yeah. it was Dragline like circled by all the inmates. I just had a realization that I had not realized before. So, okay. You know, uh, I forget, is it Coco that rips up that picture after Luke yeah. conforms? And first of all, in my head, I was like, don't rip that up. You're going to want to like, oh, fine, whatever. Okay. <laughs> so he rips it up. But then they show like the very final shot after they do like the, we're pulling away from the, you know, yeah. But yeah, the field picture. And um, it's the picture and it's in black and white and they zoom in on Paul Newman's eye. Paul Newman is extremely famous for having the most beautiful blue eyes. Like that's what he is famous for. And so I think it's so interesting to have a close up be on a black and white like Paul Newman eye. Because actually that's... that was something I think the producers were like, Paul Newman's eyes aren't featured enough. And the director was like, are you kidding me? I have to reshoot <laughs> things to make his eyes blue. Like this is nonsense. So I do love just knowing that like he's famous for this thing and they're zooming in on his eye and it's black and white. And it's the opposite of the man with no eyes who is like constantly reflecting. And that's like the color shots. I don't that's know what it means. But it's got to mean it. something. That's a really good point. Because yeah. also that picture, I mean, also his hair was like jet black in the picture. Yeah. And then I, I didn't quite understand. He was like, oh, I just had that picture made. I'm like, from what? Oh, because like, I thought it was like they put his face onto an already existing picture kind of idea. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, That's so he just like went thought. to like a photo booth kind of thing somewhere. And Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, the, the black and white of it was super interesting because I remember 
just even in the first shot where, you know, where the screen freezes on Cool Hand Luke, right? And it's, you know, this shot um, where- Hey, oh, he's got it in the background. Cool yeah, Hand and Luke like, in the background. Thank you, Mitch. He, you're welcome. And his eyes are so blue. Like that was the first thing that I noticed when he sat down and he's drunk. His eyes are still like crystal clear blue. And so it was interesting to sort of watch that almost get washed away yeah. uh, as the movie progresses to the point where then at the end it's black and white. But then you're like, but is there hope? Because the very last shot before that is the camera panning out and you see all the men working on the side of the road and you see George Kennedy's character who's got the chains between his legs, but he's whistling and he had never whistled before. So I'm like, so he's got a song in his heart now? Like, is this hope? What does this mean? I don't totally get it. I do feel like that had to have been because that was that, that sort of that kumbaya circle right before that shot. It was him and all of the people laughing and reminiscing about Luke and how they changed his life. And I feel like there was like this joy that got brought into their lives by him. And then it was followed, yeah, by this shot of, you know, him wearing chains, but like you just said, like him with a song in his heart and then the awkward sort of mash uh, helicopter pan away. And again, it's just interesting to, to, to like feel how grand that was, but that the whole story was so contained in, in these you know, people. Well, and you just made me realize now he has become a religious figure to them. Like they're going to tell yeah. the, the lore of Luke from now on. And, but gospel? it's also like the um, gospel of Luke. Oh, stop it. The gospel of Luke. <laughs> from now on, that will be the story. And Oh, my God. But like to what effect? To what good does it do necessarily? It can bring them joy, but they're still stuck in this terrible situation. So it's very interesting. Yeah, well, but and none of them, from what it sounds like, are murderers, you know, yeah. or mass killers, whatever it is. So I wonder if that hope is just the thing that's like that they're now looking towards to reminisce in, but also to get them through until their sentences are over. But, you know, at the same time, the captain at the beginning was like, we have someone here for two years. We have someone here that are here for 20 years. Assuming that, you know, Dragline is probably in there for the next 20. uh, It's it is pretty intense to know that Luke had such a huge effect on them. And he's whistling again. He's just he's smiling and happy. Well, and to be fair, this is a place where he is more comfortable. So it's a terrible place. And like those conditions should not be happening. Like he should Mm -hmm. not be working the road this way. But he's more comfortable in prison than someone like Lucas for whom like prison is death, for whom prison is like just the, the inequality of it all, like the inhumaneness, the unfairness, the unjustness of like the situation. Yeah, well, and sort of the book ending of it too, where, you know, there is the fall and rise and fall of Luke too. And this, you know, we start off with Luke on the ground uh, being taken away by the cops. We end with Luke, you know, seated being taken away by the cops when they talk about his wartime, uh, yeah. you know, and how he, he came in a private and he left a private, even though but he got all those medals, a sergeant and became a sergeant. Yeah. So he rose and fell in, in the ranks there too. And that was such like a, oh, that's, that's his arc. Well, and you do see like, for him, it's when things happen that he thinks are like unjust, that he, mm-hmm. he changes and can't conform anymore. So I bet in the war, it's like, he's killing people. Like he says mm-hmm. that at the end, he's like, I have killed people. Um, yeah. And that was okay, apparently, because it was war. But it's something has to probably trigger him each time where it's like, this system is not okay. And the way that I say that the system is not okay is by breaking the rules. And then when I break the rules, I'm punished for that. Yeah, but his, but his sense of his moral compass takes over and it doesn't yeah. matter what's going to happen to him. What matters more to him is, is following his moral compass, whatever that means. I wrote down a quote about it somewhere, but here's the problem. I was so into this (laughs) that I wrote literally 20 pages of notes. I am not kidding. 20 pages of notes. I wrote 20 pages, girl. That's what I wrote because I counted at the end and I went, how how crazy was I this time? That's not normal. That's my notes. (laughs) (laughs) For those who can't see, Mitch is holding up like four lines on a piece of paper. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's pretty intense. What did I, but I was good. There was a quote about it. That maybe someday I'll find. Although there were so many, like, for your own good, you will follow the rules. Oh, I was going to talk about, like, the what we have here is the failure to communicate guy. It's mm. all just, like, such a power struggle. He's clearly this, like, weak, like, I got a reedy voice. I'm a gross yeah. man. What we got here is, like, ugh, he sounds terrible. But, like, this is all clearly I need to feel better than you somehow, so this is what I do and this is my job. From him, I got that. From the man with no eyes, I don't entirely understand his whole thing because he clearly begins to hate Luke when Luke catches the rattlesnake like he's watching him the whole time and judging him the whole time and I'm like is that supposed to be like God I don't know 
But then he starts to hate Luke, I think, after the rattlesnake incident, where Luke grabs the rattlesnake and he shoots it. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I forget what he says to him, but it's like, like something. Great shot, boss, or something like that. Like something yeah. like simple, but like almost could be seen as like condescending or just like placating, you know? And I think that was like, if he hadn't said anything, it would have been like, fine. Because I think the guy, you know, Godfrey was just trying to intimidate in that moment yeah. and it didn't work. Well, because Luke can't be beaten. He can't be intimidated. And clearly he can because he does have that moment where he really was because they really, really did some terrible things to him. Yes. I mean, they they pushed him into his own grave. They literally pushed him into his own grave. Oh, that was what I was looking for, the quote about his death. He says a quote about his own death. (laughs) But I don't know where it is because I took 20 pages of notes and that was really a terrible idea. Fun at the time. Oh, my gosh. We can can stand by. Yeah, stand stand by for for death quote. (laughs) Stand by. Death quote for cutie. <laughs> I love the lines I wrote down, by the way. I'm looking I'm like, Luke, you wild, beautiful thing. You and your crazy <laughs> handful of nothing. I just oh my God. these lines. Oh, my God. Oh but God. that's that, that was like movie title, movie title. He's naming the character. And it was cool. It was just so, it felt so natural, too. And nothing felt forced. No. And that's the greatest name for a prison name ever. Cool Hand Luke is by oh, far the yeah. coolest name I've ever heard. Yes. I was thinking about what our names would be. Like, I was like, what would your name be in prison? I don't actually want to think about this because I never want to go to prison if it was up to me. But you have no control over it. They'd pick something probably really stupid. Yeah. Like Beards McGee. (laughs) Or like you'd be like, you know, like Bo. And I'd be like, what? And they'd be like, because you've got in your hair. In your hair. Okay. And then that that sticks and you're so Forever and ever. (laughs) I will say they called um, Harry Dean Stanton the tramp. And to me, Mm. he looked so much like Hoagie Carmichael, who's this like singer of kind of folk type songs from the 40s and stuff. And Mm -hmm. I was just getting major like flashback vibes. I was like, oh, Oh it's basically the ghost of Hoagie Carmichael, who might have still been alive at the time of this. I don't know. Um. I don't know if I'm ever going to find this line about death. He, it's what, something that he says when he gets pushed in? No, there's a line where he's like, I'm going to die this way or something. You know, it's one of those kinds of things. Predicting oh. his own future kind of deal. Yeah, you know? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I just don't remember the quote. Yeah. I, don't either. I did write the tushy and then I made a happy face with heart eyes because you see Paul Newman's tushy for about two seconds. Do we? It's in the dark, but it's there. It's, um, <laughs> it's when they put the, yeah, before they put him in the chokey. Cause to me, as I was watching that, I was like, oh my God, Matilda, it's the chokey. Oh my God. Yeah. The room, the room. The oh my room. God. This yeah. little box was the, yeah. Yeah. Matilda, the chokey. the chokey. It was the chokey, but less scary than Matilda. Yeah. Matilda's cause it had the nails on the side and you didn't even have a place to poop or pee. Yeah. You were like, you can't move. That was one of those like old Egyptian tomb prison things. You don't want to be in the chokey. No, I would rather be in the box than the chokey. I would rather be in the box than the chokey, but the box also looked terrible, especially for someone like Luke, I think. It was extra terrible. There was a little part of me that's like, would I rather be in a chokey all day sitting and not having to work? But that's, that's a tough, that looked terrible. It all looked really terrible. The whole thing. It's still solitary and you're still, you know, peeing and pooping in buckets and like maybe one of those is you're drinking water too. Who knows? Ew. Okay, I cannot find this quote, so I'm just going to have to give up and I tell you the second we end this call, I'll be like, ah, there's the quote. Also, I should mention, I watched this on HBO Max. This is available there for free. Did the same thing. So that's where it is. You can also rent it. It's available like everywhere. Everywhere. So, oh, the music too. I really enjoyed... Um, I thought the music was really cool. The guy that did the music has a really cool name. Ooh, it's something like, um, no, it's like Lalo Schrift or something like that. He's Argentinian, but he wrote the theme to um, Mission Impossible. What? Yeah. The yeah. music in this was actually, it was so subtle. The score was so subtle. Like I remember, I remember noticing it when it happened. There was such infrequent use of music that when it did play, it was it was really important. Well, and it was almost like Jaws sound. So they would go into it whenever they're doing the hard labor. You've got like that Jaws music that's like da da. Like it's lots of big brassy sounds, but then it's mostly this beautiful Mm. like guitar underneath. Created this sort of weird calmness about everything, even though it shouldn't have been to me. But then, like like you're saying, like when there's when there was actually like intense things happening when they're in the chain gang, like the music is playing to that. Sometimes you forget that it was it was a jail situation, and it felt almost like an army barracks. Yeah, especially how they did it with the music too. Of like, I'm realizing now. So they had the big strong music when they're like out working really hard, and that's when they're doing a lot of those really big 
close-ups of like the sweat of their faces of what they're doing and mm-hmm. then when they're doing silly things like with the eggs and they have the whole egg workout montage they're doing mm-hmm. the same kind of thing too with those close-ups where he's like shoving the eggs in his mouth and they're making it incredibly dramatic in the same way and i really appreciate mm-hmm. like that juxtaposition of things before we go because you know we're wrapping up the show but we haven't discussed the egg scene enough how much did you love <laughs> the egg scene and like the montage rocky like pre-egg eating it came out of nowhere. If there was a scene that I would have ever anticipated, it wasn't that. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to eat 50 eggs. Okay. And it'll be like this this funny little like brief scene. But like the buildup of it and like how important it felt for the whole movie was so funny to me. Like, yeah. I loved it. I really loved it. And like to, to see him actually struggle, because I was like, he's just going to fly through it and it's going to be fine but he wasn't like that to yeah. me was so enjoyable. Well, and apparently too, Paul Newman really hated it, of course. And he ended up only eating in real life, like eight eggs. But every time they would cut, he would like vomit out what he had just eaten because it was no. so repulsive to him. I think it's probably if you eat that many in a row, like even me, if I ate eight eggs in a row, I'd probably feel pretty gross. I guess so. And I'm thinking about the yolk, especially like Ugh. that dry yolk in the middle. Like the outside's fine, but like just Plus knowing they were like that putting mouthfeel. them flat out on the table and stuff. And I was like, that looks disgusting. Eating a oh. hard boiled egg off of the table. Also, like, I mean, yeah, Dragline's like actually putting them with his dirty hands into his mouth. I mean, Ew. it was pretty disgusting. And they're all like unwrapping them for him. They're like rolling them in dirt, basically. Yeah, so I, I thought it was awesome. But again, I mean, like that whole scene leading into like the Jesus moment. This was this whole scene was amazing. Yeah, it's great. And his happiness at the end of, you know, he could have exploded. But instead, <laughs> he just has that Paul Newman smile, you know, just yeah. calm, like he did the thing. And I do love that he clearly did not swallow that last egg in the frame before. No, like he clearly did not. But then they cut to a new shot. They open his mouth. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> His mouth was full of egg. Oh, he didn't swallow it. Uh, he empty. did. Yeah. I also loved um, how they showed us the before and after. So they show like perfect Paul Newman, like flat oh abs, God. gorgeous Paul Newman stomach. Uh-huh. And then they show like the watermelon ready to burst egg filled stomach. And I was right. like, ah, movie magic. <laughs> like, right. And then the, the guy like flicking his stomach and like oh. the, you know, the sound effect of it sounding like a watermelon. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, this is so great. funny. But also, the, like, showing, yeah. like, bloated Paul Newman was, you know, come on. It's just you know? like normal me. Just right. like a regular day. It's, it's, it's like ideal gold me, yeah. you know? Bloated Paul Newman. And I wondered how they did that, too. I was like, did they just do that all right after lunch and have him eat a lot of food and put him in really tight shorts? Like, is that all that they did? <laughs> or I'm sure he just, like, you know, pushed out his stomach. Like, you know? <gasps> yeah. I, used to, oh. I was in like high school and I was like, you know, I thought it'd be funny to be, have a pot belly. I'd try to push my stomach out. And then it happened in real life. And yeah. here we are. As a girl, they really wouldn't even let me think that way. They wanted me to conform to the ladies' standards. Mm. So mm-hmm. I've only had the opposite where you're like, sucking it in. I don't have a stomach. <laughs> what is a stomach? But now I'm like, yes, these are curves. Love yes. them, everyone. Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that scene's great. And the line where he's like, why'd you say 50? And he's like, I thought it was just a good, clean number. I yeah. Love... Yeah, yeah. Or a nice, or nice round number. Round that's number. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, cool. Yeah. He does the impossible. He All does right, so every is there time. anything else that you want to add that you feel like we didn't talk about? I think we said we said most of what I was thinking about, you know, across the board. It was it was a simple movie that really hit home. You know, obviously I can't relate to being in prison, but it doesn't matter. What was relatable was his story and his arc and his feelings and his emotions um, and you know who he was and the impact that he had on on the people around him and you know just his integrity. It was a movie about integrity at the end of the day for me yeah. and how that lifts people up and how that inspires others to to do better and to be better uh, no matter what your situation is so it was really a movie of hope even though it felt consistently hopeless at times and then like Uh, the idea of like what is right and wrong because clearly these people who have quote unquote done something wrong are in mm -hmm. the service of people who are also doing things that are wrong yeah oh i'm so glad we watched this movie thanks for watching well because when you had said you hadn't seen this movie i was like oh my god you know my love of Paul. Please let me share this with you. Yeah. Let me <laughs> share my shared, Paul Newman love. 
and this is Paul Newman. This is all I know of Paul Newman now, and I'm already very excited. This is the best of it. I will say, so he did not win the Academy Award for this. He lost out to Rod Steiger. We talked about In the Heat of the Night on this podcast a few episodes ago, but Rod Steiger won and beat Paul Newman out for this, and I think that was just incorrect. I think that Paul Newman so deserved the Oscar for this. He was so good. But this was like an insane year of film. I was looking at what was nominated this particular year, so it would have been the 1968 Oscars, but it was in 1967 the films came out. It was this film, Cool Hand Luke. It was In the Heat of the Night, The Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, The Dirty Dozen, Wait oh Until God. Dark, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Barefoot in the Park. Just all these really cool movies came out this year. Wow. That nomination thing was stacked, and I just went, wow. What a year for movies. So there's that. Oh and then this movie in particular, while it doesn't necessarily leave us with a ton of hope, but some hope, in real life, this movie coming out actually ended up helping to stop chain gangs in the South. Like it was this movie because people could see what was happening and then they went, oh my God, this isn't okay. And they like made legislation against it because wow. of this movie. That's amazing. So it did make a change. So that's great news. A change gang. A change gang. That's a pun. Yeah, sure um, uh, so yeah, the double feature segment. So I would say, you watched this, you want more? Oh, let me tell you what to watch. I would say your next film should be, for Paul Newman, I feel like the top Paul Newman-y films are The Hustler, HUD, and Cool Hand Luke as like a triple feature. If I'm just picking one of those, ooh, you just can't pick one though, it's really hard. The Hustler, HUD, and then this. If you want to do a Paul Newman, Robert Redford double feature, that's a whole separate thing. If you want to do like Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward features, that's a whole separate thing. But for this feeling, this cool and Lukey, mm-hmm. Paul Newman to the core feeling, I would say go with those. That's Done. my double feature. I noted it on my little notepad sheet paper thing here. There's two there names go. written down. I'm going to watch them and then I'll, I'll expand. Well, thanks so much for being here, Mitch. This was so much fun. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. I hope to come back soon. 